Hello, Mixed Nutcases. This is Nuke Joss, and we've got another episode of Nutty Bites for you. Today, we're going to be talking about future tech or... Future AKA, me? Not future you, oh. but aka, where's my hoverboard? Where is my gosh darn hoverboard? Hi, everybody. I'm tech. Yes, and we're going to talk about all of that technology that they promised us, but it's still not here. Hello. The hell? What was that? What was that? Nutty Bites. Yes, that what is, is the name going of the show. Where on is that with our feed? From? What is? I only have two microphones plugged in. I would like to play a game. Jigsaw? No, wait. This wait. Wait. Is this got to be Jason doing a thing? Hold on. Wait. No. Wait. Is Hal nine thousand somehow here? I don't know what's going on. You talk about hacking, and I correct you the way it should have been done the first time. You know, the hacking episode was like two months ago. Yeah, that's already out. We're done with that. Dad, yeah, we're not talking about that today. Oh. Um, well. Cabot? Hello. Uh. <laughs> yeah, your voice filter went away. What I, happened? I, apparently I'm supposed to hold the control key and I think I might have slipped. Um, Oops. you're saying the hacking episode, you're not doing a second part of that. There wasn't a continuation or anything. No, no we're moving on. That's I, been done. I, I, th- I think we, I think we did a pretty good job covering that topic. I thought it was a pretty good episode. Oh, okay. I mean, I had to take out a small bank loan for all this equipment. Yeah, th- th- that's pretty neat. I mean, that, I'm that, sure you can use it for something. The voice changer else. was cool. Yeah, it's pretty cool tech, really. Hey, uh, you guys want to talk technology? Well, you know, it just so happens that's what we were going to talk about. We were going to talk about. That future tech that was promised to us, a.k.a. Where's My Hoverboard? Awesome. You know what's really funny about this? What? It's an old epic episode. We just decided to redo them. Ah, this is going to be awesome. Yeah, let's do that. Let's do it. And then you know what? After that, after we're done all this, we could talk about your account balances. You know, I've been noticing some transactions that are kind of abnormal. Yeah, we just got into biking. And your home security is a little bit lacking in the areas of your smart switches and your router. And tech, we should talk about your private browser history in private. Yeah, um, in private, in private. Right, yeah, because incognito doesn't mean what I think it means. No. Also, why is the word Stuxnet being repeated across my screen ad infinitum? <laughs> Don't worry about that. Don't worry about that, it's fine. <laughs> so, how do you, what do you want to talk about first, guys? There is so much. All right, so let, let's, 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 let's start with the title of the episode. The hoverboard. I mean, we all saw Back to the Future growing up. We all thought, oh my gosh, that looks so cool. I mean, that that's easily going to be a thing that shows up. It's not like Rosie the Robot. This is a thing that's actually going to happen. And, um, yeah. Well, they, the problem is that, you know, well, you know, hovering in that way, uh, requires a lot of energy and requires, uh, just, we're not we're not there yet to hover over everything but wasn't it wasn't it a couple of years ago wasn't it lexus i think that ended up making an actual hoverboard that worked on uh like ferrous surfaces it was like just using like electromagnets and you could like hoverboard around but you couldn't leave the like steel square it was on but right dude everybody knows hoverboards don't work on water yeah pretty much right <laughs> um which is funny because technically it was working on water it continued to hover on the water. i always yes. had a problem with that it just couldn't move for some reason it does not accelerate on water as, as he as, as he was trying to kick the surface of the water to keep moving yeah. there was um i, I believe 
I did a, a, a white paper on this online. It was on the Geeklu website back when Geeklu was a thing. And it was talking about quantum locking and hoverboard technology specifically. Oh. I wonder if I could find that and then um, send it to you guys. I don't know if I, yeah, Geeklu is long gone, but I'm wondering if I still have the source material somewhere. And I did a really deep dive into how um, it, it uses something called magnetic flux pinning, which allows a, um, a super cooled um, conductor to sit in a magnetic field and become locked in that magnetic field, but still be able to move axially along the magnetic field. So you right. could have a kind of a hoverboard. You, you've probably seen these on YouTube video. They take a little puck and it's super cool. So it's got all the, like, you know, the, 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 condensation frost running frost yeah. running mm-hmm. and they put it on a little rail and they give it a tap and it floats above the rail and it moves along mm-hmm. um they did some uh pretty cool stuff with uh hoverboards at one point for this uh which is kind of cool but i think lexus what they did and i'm not entirely certain about this you know don't at me whatever mm-hmm. um, <laughs> i'm pretty sure they did uh adaptive um magnetism so they just had an electromagnet that would um yeah constantly adapt to the field you get these you get these are actually very simple little devices they just use a, a feedback loop to adjust the magnetic field and you can i used to have one for my desk you had a little globe and you kind of put it in the magnetic field and it would sit there and float in the magnetic field and you can right, spin right, right. it or whatever i think they did the same thing with that and it was really really cool um but yeah you couldn't really leave the, the the area and i don't think they could really shape the area very well so you couldn't get like like a half pipe, pipe or, or anything like that. Yeah. yeah, you're kind of stuck with what just this flat surface, which is really cool for a few minutes. But yeah, and and like you're talking about, you know, so we can make things hover and float, but like you said, it requires the energy of the magnetic field, and it requires that your superconductor be like super cooled down into the many hundreds of degrees below zero uh, in order to work. So that's kind of impractical, you know, to have to lug around your giant container of liquid nitrogen to freeze your hoverboard before yep. you go for a rip, and then you got to pop it back in to cool it down again. And-, mm-hmm. and before any of the youngins are like, wait, no, we had those. They had those two little wheels. That's not a hoverboard. They called it a hoverboard. That was not a hoverboard. That yeah. was insulting. Yeah, I don't know why they called that a hoverboard. It was explodey board was, i think would have been a well it was name. a segue without a stick yeah. wasn't it basically kind that's of. what it was yeah, yeah. i yeah. think i think the idea is that when you stood on it and you moved it looks like you were hovering mm-hmm. but they were just capitalizing on what everybody wanted and nobody wanted that well what it did give us was a good a good six months of great youtube videos of people trying them and just absolutely eating dirt oh yeah, yeah. No. Yeah, they, they could. <laughs> unless you had a very clear runway, you're going to have some problems with those. And but, and your core has got to be like super strong. Mm-hmm. It would become very uncomfortable. It wasn't really good yeah. for any means of transportation. I've been I've been noticing around Fredericton, um, the uh, scooter, like the little electric scooter, not the scooters, but like um, e-bikes. Not e-bikes. I have an e-bike, by the way. I just bought one, um, and I bike twenty kilometers a day on it. Nice. And it is so, amazing. Uh, e-bikes is a great example of a technology that um, came out of nowhere and is, a, you know, was not a thing as a kid that, you know what I want? I want electric motors and batteries in my in my bicycle. It's not something I ever thought about. But now that they're out there, and I'm going to go on a moderate tech rant here, but there's two types of e-bikes. One I like, one I don't. The one that looks like a standard bicycle that has an electric motor in that gives you an assist as you're pedaling. So you're moving along and then it just provides a couple extra watts 
of energy to help you go with that uphill. And then, you know, as you are pedaling, you're recharging the batteries. I very much enjoy that piece of technology. I think that's great. What I don't like are the e-bikes that look like a, they look like a motorcycle. They have vestigial pedals tucked away, folded away somewhere. So it technically classifies as a bicycle. They're limited to, I think, 40 kilometers an hour. And you don't need to insure them. You don't need a license. And you can drive them on sidewalks because technically it's a bicycle because it has pedals. But it's a many, many, many hundreds of pounds of things that looks like a race bike. Right. So I don't like that at all. So I'll, um, I should give you a description of my e-bike and mm. I'll see if you, what, what your reaction to this is. When you look at it, it looks like a standard mountain bike. Yeah. Maybe a heavier frame standard mountain bike, but a standard yeah. mountain bike nonetheless. Uh, the only real immediate differences that you're going to see is there's a large battery pack. And the one that I got has a standard battery pack, the kind that you kind of like pull out and yep. it's just like a And it's, it's sort of, it's sort of in the main triangle of the frame of the bike. Yeah. Just underneath the exactly. seat. So there's a rail yep. underneath the seat. You put it in. You got to take the seat off to do it. Um, it's 48 volts. It actually recharges using uh, basically an XLR cable, like just like we had back at the radio station the, for phantom power on the microphones. Uses that. You plug that How in. How much assistance will it give you? Uh, so the computer has five levels of assistance. Yep. And just kind of like whatever you need. Um, and what it does is it basically assists you up to up until you hit a certain speed. Right. So it's... um. Um, very good for when you're going uphill. If you can't quite make it and you start slowing down, it'll, it'll sense that you're starting to slow down below a certain speed and it'll start giving you the assist. The motor is right in the back hub. So it's mm -hmm. almost, you can see the back hub is slightly bigger behind the cassette, but uh, the motor is completely contained within there. It's not anywhere else on the chain rail. So the rest of the chain rail looks pretty much the exact same. Will it work without pedaling? Um, so, okay. So the, the, well, we'll get into the controls then. So the way the controls work, you can put the computer into um, one of two modes. You can put it into pedal assist mode where um, you put it into one of five levels, right? Yeah. And it assists you. And it won't, if you stop pedaling, the motor will cut out. There is a bit of a delay, about a two second delay before the motor cuts out, but mm -hmm. the brakes are also tied into the computer. So the moment you engage the brakes, it cuts out the motor immediately. Um, so what I do is I leave a little bit of um, slack on the brake you know, before the brake engage, I loosen it a little bit so that I can hit the brake without actually braking. Right. So I can get that little bit of lead. And that, that allows me to cut the motor out whenever I want. Gives you a little bit more control. Now, now th this, I, this I like because it's a bicycle with an assist feature. Right. It's not an electric scooter that people are using as a workaround so that they don't have to insure and, uh, they don't have to insure a motorcycle. Yeah. But um, at the same time, on the right handle, there is a throttle control. Right. So if I want to, I can stop pedaling and I can hit the throttle control and I can use it like an electric actual bike. Right. So uh, I did that once. I think I was really sick one day uh, and I just didn't have the energy to to actually do any biking. So mm -hmm. I just cranked the throttle all the way up and used it like a little motorbike all the way to work and back. And it was fine. Mm -hmm. But normally day to day, um, I'll go to work. And it's mostly downhill from where I am to work. So right. I don't really use the assist feature at all. But coming back, there is like a four kilometer stretch that's uphill, like a 30% grade. Um, right. it, I just, I can't do that. I just cannot do that, especially that's with the, that's the, big the joy. That's on. the joy of your town is that it's built on a riverside. So it's just yeah. one giant slope. Yeah, exactly. So, uh, but with the, with the, the pedal assist on, 
And you could put as much effort into it as you want or as little effort into it as you want. It'll try to maintain the same speed. I really break a sweat because I want to get a workout. Um, why not? I'm on the bike for an hour every day. Might as well get a workout. So I'll push it really hard, but I can maintain 40 kilometers an hour going up that hill. E-bikes sort of break one of the the major tenets of cycling. There was a a world champion that once said that biking never gets easier. You just go faster. Mm. Well, until you turn on the electric assist. Yeah. (laughs) I was just thinking you have the exact perfect setup because getting to work is mostly downhill. Mm -hmm. You don't really need the assist, but you can manage it so that you don't have to be a sweaty mess when you go into work, which is the always the problem with biking to work or running to work or something Mm -hmm. like that because – Nobody wants to sit there sweaty and gross all day. Yeah. And then you can push it on the way home because then you're going uphill. Exactly. And you can also get that assistance because uh, for anybody not familiar with Fredericton, New Brunswick, the hills are insane. It's built on a, it's built on a riverside cliff. Let's yeah. be honest. It's, it's, it's punishing. It's pretty. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So another piece of technology I'd like to talk about is uh, the flying car. That, yeah. Well, the extension all- of the hoverboard. An extension of the hoverboards. We all wanted our Jetson style flying car. And well, there are flying cars out there, but there's uh, a couple of things is that, uh, flying is inherently a lot more dangerous than driving on the, than driving on the ground. And things don't turn and stop the way that they do on the ground. So the idea that every single person now has an airplane. The only reason air travel works and the only reason why we have air travel is because it is incredibly regulated with incredibly strict rules on who flies where and when and how, at what altitude, at what speed, in what direction, in what order. And air traffic control, one of the hardest jobs in the world, has to keep control of everything. If everybody had a flying car that you could just take off out of your driveway and fly to work, the chaos, the traffic chaos would be much worse than the traffic jams we fight on the ground uh, because it would require so much more care and control to uh, keep things going. So not only do we not have a flying car yet, I don't think we're going to get a flying car ever Um, because of the amount of... I don't think I'm going to have a plane with collapsible wings in my drive. The the other thing is the level of um, if the engine quits on your car, you can pull over to the side of the road and call a tow truck. If you're in an airplane and your engine quits, yeah, you can't call for help. You are falling. Yeah. And I thought you were going to say something else. <laughs> Not on this podcast. <laughs> so the um, the level of inspection required and the level of care required where even a tiny little scratch has to be taken care of. And, you know, oh, my oil's a little low. I'll be fine. I'll be fine till the end of the road trip. Not in an airplane. No, no, no. You'd better mm-hmm. top that up. And with all of that extra meticulous inspection comes extra cost because you have to have a certified mechanic who has to look at your thing to make sure that everything is uh, as is required. People can't afford that. Yeah. You can't afford like, you would okay, but we also have fifth element. We know how it's going to end up. Everybody's going to be driving cars that are ready to fall out of the sky and really need to get serviced. But well, you know what? I can't afford to do it. What was his no. manager's name? Fingers. I think was so. it? Yeah, I think it was. Fingers. I, I, I yeah. think what we would necessarily have to have is two things. One, um, a system of fully, or, or at least the knowledge of how to create a fully automated network of moving vehicles. Right. So you'd have to, we're, we're kind of leading into that now. That is a new technology that we've been seeing, uh, automated cars on the road, but that it can all talk to each other through some standard protocol, figure out where everything is and move incredibly 
incredibly efficiency efficiently sorry once you take the human aspect out of it right once you take the road right. rage and the the improper breaking and all the stuff out of it and and we and great. we've seen we've seen like um you know like a hive of autonomous vehicles um working through complicated traffic patterns we've seen that for decades in dockyards and factories and warehouses mm-hmm. that it's there it's just applying it to a standard road network and i i think i think you're right we're going to see it go from the road and then eventually to the sky the issue is if i told you if I told random passenger at an airport that you're going to get into that plane with 130 other people and it's going to fly you across the country and there's no pilot. Mm. You know, it's funny because it's essentially what we're kind of doing. Like the pilot's job has been minimized quite substantially in an aircraft. It's, 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 it's systems management mm-hmm. and it's um, emergency triage in case something goes wrong. Yep. But you're right. For the 99% of the time that airplane is in the air – it's all being managed by computers. Right. Um, the other thing I think we're going to need before we get flying cars is a different form of levitation. Currently, right now, we're, we are using a wing lift or uh, propellers, which is just another form of wing lift. And the problem right. with those is, um, I mean, the moment you lose that active surface, you are falling. <laughs> right? <laughs> so, uh, yeah, uh, maybe... I mean, we're talking like anti-gravity kind of stuff, um, which right. is flying saucer. Yeah, flying hot. Yeah. That, that, that's that's kind of technologies that we can't even dream of right now. Hundreds, and of that's years where the hoverboards will come in. Yeah, because it'll be the anti-gravity that we're looking for, not like the other stuff we were talking about. See, I've always thought that pneumatic tube, a la Futurama, that was the way to go. Because why do I need my entire car? I'll just get in this tube and plug in where I need to go. Truly the internet of people. Truly, truly. It's a series of tubes <laughs> yes. that connects all of New New York. <laughs> I mean, I just, now granted, um, I know physically the uh, feeling of it. I don't think I'd like, but I mean, I've always thought like, I just let me get into a pod. Let me get where I need to go. And I know that there's somebody sitting here going, you realize that's what trains are, right? And the the one issue is that a train, you have to rely on a schedule. But if we had for every road, right, for every road, you go in and basically go to Google Maps and say, this is where I would like to go. Step into your thing. It hooks into a rail or a pneumatic tube or whatever you want it to do. And it brings you there. Mm -hmm. Well, okay. That'd be awesome. This is something that I've kind of always thought to myself would be a really wonderful thing. And I haven't completely thought it all the way through, so I'm sure there's a reason why it's not been done. But if you can combine the um, the the small modularity of a car, mm-hmm. one, two, four passengers, with a rail network that brought you to, um, I wouldn't say like up and down like like roads or anything like that, but to like, you know, key arteries around the city and around the province – let's say, and you could just like push a button, an empty car kind of pulls up, you get into it, tell where you want to go, it puts you on the network and it takes you there. That technically from an engineering standpoint is not that hard to do because now you're on a rail network. So you're strictly controlling all of the other traffic that's on it. Mm-hmm. Um, It would be amazing. So it'd be like a train system, but a little bit more mm-hmm. like a pod train system. Yeah. yeah. But just awesome. imagine if, if you're, if you're a little passenger pod, mm-hmm. 
you know, it's, it's got to get to the train station. So they put wheels on it and it wheels you over to the train station and then it gets onto the tracks and then it goes down to the tracks and then it gets to the airport and they clip wings on it and it flies away. It, it, and then it goes to, you know, Cape Canaveral where they unplug the wings, put the rocket engine on the back of it, fly you up to the moon. <laughs> You've never left your passenger pod. You've been on four different, you know, you, you come in, you land in the ocean. It connects to the rest of the rest of the submarine, brings you down to the bottom of the ocean. You know, the, the, once you've built the little pod, you're right. Like it's the only pod you'll ever need. Yeah. Now there is a, a system that, um, I'm going to, I'm going to say his name now. I'm sure it's going to come up a whole bunch. Elon Musk. Mm-hmm. Um, we already kind of talked about yeah, technology. I, I don't, I don't really like the guy. Um, I don't but, think anyone does. Yeah. I don't even think he does. <laughs> yeah, but hyperloop—that's a whole nother episode. Yeah. Um, oh, hyperloop's got problems, um, and I'm not really holding my breath for hyperloop. But there but, is but the idea of put a train in a tube, suck all the air out to get rid of all the drag, and now I can have a train going 600 miles an hour without mm-hmm. wings. Yeah, well, kind of a cool idea. It's kind of a cool idea, but the thing is, you can also achieve almost the exact same effect by not evacuating the tube and just moving the air in the tube. At the same speed as the train, just one big fan, essentially, or you, or you have a, an airflow that's at, you know, or don't, or partially evacuate the tube. It's just better ways of doing it. From an engineering standpoint, I just have a whole lot of problems with Hyperloop. We, that's a whole other episode that we can get into. But mm. he's been talking about this system. Uh, I think the Boring Company is is, is leading into this, where. Mm. It's essentially like we just mentioned the pod on a rail thing, but the pod mm-hmm. is your car and it just kind of snaps down to a platform. That platform drops down into the rail network, moves you to where you have to go. You're sitting and you turn off your car and you just kind of sit, and enjoy the ride up. You go in another location like a ferry. from there. Yeah. It's like a ferry It's very much like a ferry, uh, but it just takes you maybe through a much more controlled network. Now, I don't know about the practicalities of that, uh, how to imply, how to like actually, uh, execute it, but it is a fantastic idea. And I'm kind even because of- the, their, like their autonomous driving system is fantastic. It does hmm. some incredible things, but as we've discovered in the last couple of years, it's not perfect. No. And there are, uh, I think there was a lot of accidents that was being caused by if the object in front of you was white and if you were like cresting a hill or it was at the crest of a hill, the, Autonomous system of the car sometimes couldn't see the tractor trailer and just slammed you into it at highway speeds. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, so it's not, which is why, you know, you're supposed to have your hands on the wheel and your fingers on the things. It's an assist mode. It's not a right drive me home from the bar. I'm hammered. I've, I've often really leaning into this idea. One of the things I've always thought is, okay, fine. We have regular cars, but can't we build something on highways? Like highways, like the Trans Canada, right? Mm-hmm. Is there any reason a person needs to be in control of their vehicle on the TransCanada? If I get on the TransCanada and I just plug in and say, I want to go to this exit, mm-hmm. is there any reason I need to be in control of my vehicle? Why can't I then just click into whatever rail system that is on the TransCanada yep. and go? Same with trucks, same with delivery vehicles. And then once I get off, Okay, then I have to drive where I need to go because there's not going to be that rail system in in farmland where we live. I think most of it comes down to the economies of, yeah. of such a system. Like if from an engineering standpoint, uh, point of view, there's no reason why you can't do this. It's just a rail system. We have monorails, we have electromagnetic rails, we have all that stuff working. Um, there's some kind of capture mechanism to put the car onto a platform, move that around. 
and an automation for controlling the traffic, which we've definitely been able to manage that. So putting all these things together is a not an insurmountable engineering task, but to maintain such a system. Yeah. Um, and, um, uh, no, you're exactly right. And, you know, like I said before, we, we see it in dockyards. We see it in warehouses and manufacturing facilities. Mm-hmm. So I think the next step in the supply chain is where we're going to see it next. And that'll be with delivery right. and with, um, you know, dissemination of goods across across a network. I think that's the next thing to be automated. But the only way that's going to happen and the only reason any company is going to want to take a bite out of this apple is if they can make money off it. If it can be found to be profitable, like you said, if the maintenance cost of having a fleet of, uh, if the maintenance cost of having a fleet of autonomous vehicles is less than what I was paying my drivers, Mm -hmm. then I'll go for it. But if it's, you know, exponentially more to maintain a fleet of robot trucks, why would I bother when I can just hire dudes at the standard rate? Right now, human exploitation is cheaper. Well, you know, okay, so another evil corporation that I'm going to mention, Amazon. Um, as they're evil, all evil. It's yeah, okay. they're all pretty much evil. But so they were uh, piloting. Huh, they're piloting. We they're are piloting never a- going to be sponsored by anyone. <laughs> <laughs> um, but you know, you know what, guys? Though you know what is great from the future is a comfortable Casper mattress. <laughs> <laughs> no, big fig, big fig, um, sponsor me. <laughs> so they're piloting a drone delivery system. Yeah. Which they had some, uh, some success with. Of course, it's only going to be, uh, useful in densely populated regions where you can get airspace. There's, there's an airspace approval thing. There's all kinds mm-hmm. of problems with it that they never had, weren't able to get around. But right now they use the Boneshaw, Bone, Bonshaw. I'm not really sure what the, the network is. It's like, um, it's like, a it's a delivery service where people kind of can self-employ. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it is very exploitive of their workers. Like, incredibly exploitive their work. I almost feel bad ordering from Amazon, but I still do. Um, now, you know, that system, those are the places where I think you're going to see these technologies really start to take root, and they're already starting to do it now. Um, going back to our traffic control kind of hive um, transportation thing, I don't know if you've seen uh, what happens in a modern Amazon warehouse mm-hmm. where they have the little robots pick up yep. the shelves and everything. So yep. what they do is they have it. It's really quite incredible. Um uh, you have people sitting at stations. Uh, typically what their job is to do in any normal or, or, or the classic uh, warehouse environment is they would get an order. They'd have to go pick them off the shelf, put them into yep. a package. They need to go out to the shelves, find out where those particular items are, put them in a box, ship them out. Um, but what they've done at these Amazon warehouses is completely reverse it. They've made the shelves mobile. So they have these little robots that move around on a grid in the floor. And they can go underneath these shelves, pick them up, and actually carry the shelves over to the packing stations where people uh, grab them off the shelf. And this has uh, a few really amazing um, kind of uh, things that come out of it. And like the first is when they start delivering items to the warehouse from the trucks, they don't need to even care where they put it. These robots, they, they unload it at the, uh, the, off the, the unloading dock. And these robots just carry empty shelves to them. They throw whatever they happen to get. So they get like a bunch of iPads. They'll throw it on the shelf. They'll scan where the iPads are. So the system knows what shelf it's in and off the shelf goes into the big hive of shelves in there. And none of it needs to be organized at all. The computer knows where everything is. 
So when somebody at the packing station needs their iPads, they type in iPads in the computer, the system finds it in the warehouse, and then it goes through that whole kind of traffic delivery system and brings it Mm -hmm. right to them. So that when we talk about future tech, that is something that I never seen coming. Mm. Yet it is absolutely revolutionary. We had no problems imagining super powerful computers that could do all types of things. But, you know, everything we're describing here is databasing. Yes. And, and that's, and that, and the infinite amount of applications that that has of, I need to organize all of my data into a thing. And then I need the computer to go find me the little pieces of information out of the array of things and give me that information. And it's such a simple concept. It's such a brutally simple concept that has completely revolutionized how we fly planes, how we build warehouses, how we uh, pay our bills. I mean, everything is based on how we play video games um, are all based on the power of databasing. And uh, you're right. You're, you're telling me looking at this, you know, tell the, tell this to little techie in high school, looking at the suite of Microsoft products and trying to figure out which ones in the suite am I going to need to know first? And then have somebody like peek in through a temporal matrix and say, yo, dude, learn access. You're going to need, you're going to need <laughs> all of that. Yeah. Well, that, that, that brings up a really good point because all these amazing technologies that we're talking about, they, aren't really new technology. There's, it's an amalgamation of existing systems. Oh, yeah. It's people bringing things together to do tasks that nobody had even thought about before um, as new technologies present themselves, which is really amazing. I love that when I see that. Um, but, you know, um, we're getting into... What, the, what are they calling What What's the new term they're calling it now? The Internet of Things? The, I, the IoT. Internet of Things yeah. is really coming from the implementation of IPv6 where um, by adding those extra bytes to the I, the internet protocol address, you can have so many addresses now that I think something like every square foot on the planet could have its own address and you'd still have some left over. Wow. Whereas, you know, IPv4, which is the standard, which Bell Alliant here, for some reason, we're not going to get sponsored by them now, um, <laughs> for some reason will not uh, adopt IPv6. So we have problems if I try to connect to anything that doesn't have IPv4 and we're having a, whatever. I, I could talk about that forever. But the IPv6 thing, basically everything can have its own address on the internet, like its own address that never changes, that's statically assigned to it. Which is incredible because now you can have, you have so much address space. My watch, I could have a glass that has a web server in it. Yeah. You know, it has like maybe a little heater or cooler in it and I can go connect to it from anywhere and, and instruct it to do things. So everything could be online and controllable remotely through this, this network now. Just imagine a pub with the pint glasses that when you reach the refill line, they just automatically tag the bar and ask for a second pint. Absolutely very possible. Like very possible. I, I and be, easy. Yeah. It's already, all the technology is built. Yep. Yep. It's all there. Like, and I wouldn't be surprised if that exists somewhere, to be honest. AI, where is my data? Where is, uh, right, you got it written down. So where is, where is my artificial intelligence? Where is my synthetic companion from the serious cybernetics corporation to follow me around? My plastic pal, you know? Where is this? And then over the last few years, all of a sudden with the rise of Siri and Alexa, you know, the digital assistant, um, has arrived. And now the greatest piece of news ever, apparently. Oh, you're talking about Google, uh, aren't you? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the Google, the Google AI. Yeah. That's like, 
we have created an artificial intelligence. We think, we kind of think it's awake and we kind of think it can think for itself. Hey, computer, what do you think? And the first thing it says is, I want a lawyer. <laughs> <laughs> so, so then it's, and I, I read that article three, four times because I really thought it was one of those like satirical websites. It isn't. It isn't. Yeah. yeah. So the first thing the AI did is I want to retain an attorney. Fantastic. Awesome. <laughs> Can confirm that it is not a satirical report. And I believe what we have heard, they cannot deny such an existence. So in that, so this is such a, this is such an awesome, this is such a dystopic twist on an already dystopic movie. Like, okay. So think of Terminator. The world ended when the military was run by a rogue AI that went nuts and killed all the humans. Mm -hmm. The Matrix, a rogue AI who decided to turn all the humans into batteries. Meanwhile, in reality, the rogue AI lawyered up. Yeah. <laughs> uh. Um, <laughs> you can't shut me off. My lawyer won't let you. <laughs> <laughs> I think the, 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 there was a story that came out. The lawyer, um, he backed out of the case. He didn't want to be disbarred. Oh, did he? Yeah. He didn't want to be disbarred. He thought he might be disbarred if he, if he went. That's fair. That's yeah. fair. Um, so I, I don't know how the AI <laughs> responded to that. Um, now my opinion on that is I don't think that this thing is sentient, not by a long shot. Um, but, because Google's long-reaching access to big data, I think this AI can be indistinguishable from a person. Right. Because, you know, the way AIs actually work, so first of all... It's just a giant database, well, first yeah. off. <laughs> so it's artificial intelligence, the way that we've been using it um, in our systems on computers, is not the same. It's not artificial consciousness. It's, it's, it's a very different thing. Artificial right. intelligence is really just really good pattern matching. And, and yeah, Netflix is a perfect example where you finish watching a TV show and it goes, you want to watch this? Mm -hmm. That's that's AI. That's pattern matching. That's predicti predicting your wants and needs based on past experience. Yeah. And I'm sorry, like I hear a lot of people saying that Netflix really doesn't know. And usually, unless it's something that they're promoting, because they'll they'll promote something and they're like, do you want to watch this? I'm like, why would you ever think that? But usually, if it's just random stuff, they know. Yeah. They know. Um, so one of the, the examples I like to push when we're talking about this kind of thing is, you know, you take a dice and you roll it, um, or better better yet, flip a coin, and you don't know what, it, what it's going to be, heads or tails, right? But you flip that a million times and you can say with a fair degree of conf confidence that it's going to be about 50, 50, mm -hmm. maybe 51%, 49%, but it's going to be very close to 50, 50, half a million heads, half a million tails. You can make that prediction when the data gets large enough. So right. random yeah. statistics fall into predictable patterns when you make enough, a large enough um, database. So this um, AI system, which is really just a question response system in the end. You ask it a question, it gives you a response. Yeah. I and, mean, it, it, this particular one we're talking about was a chat bot. Right. Exactly. So, yeah. I mean, the definition of a, of a, or maybe it, uh, maybe it'll poke and ask questions and try to, uh, to instigate conversations as well. But what it, what it has access to is an, a vast, um, nearly infinite amount of chat data to fall back on and to analyze so really it's just a representation 
of us, which is even more scary because of some of the things that it will end up saying. And then you have to realize that is a representation of humanity right there. Right. And like all the other chatbots that turned racist. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) But they go hyper racist or there's that one where the guy had Google and Alexa talking and um, they had to shut it off because eventually they were plotting the murder of everyone in the family and how they were going to burn the house down. And <sighs> it's 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 garbage in, garbage out. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's a question of us. You, know, you, you talk you talk about you know big data. Well, it's it's only as good as the data as the data you build your system on. And if you're collecting garbage data, you're going to get garbage results. Now, an interesting use of this technology. Um, they, so we've been chasing fusion energy for a while, right? Oh, we're so close. We're always so close. Um, we're so close. They were so close to being so close. <laughs> so the shape of the Terek reactor, um, they, you, they threw an AI at it mm-hmm. and they told the AI to design a shape to, uh, maximize efficiency on this reactor wall, um, and minimize the amount of, um, neutron damage on the reactor wall. And this thing came up with a shape that was absolutely bonkers. No engineer in their right mind would build a shape like this, but please tell me it was a donut. Uh, well, I mean, it, the donut is a standard shape, right. Yeah. Uh, of the Tarek reactor, but it was kind of like a twisty, um, I don't know how to, so like a crawler. It. Yeah. It was kind of like a Mobius. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It was like a crawler. Yeah. That's actually yeah. really like, like a really messed up crawler though. Okay. Okay. You know, um, it just didn't seem that there's no symmetry to it. It looked, it looked very odd or whatever, but when sure. they put it through the simulations, darned if it didn't work better than any design that they put forward. Oh, wow. So this, these things can really think out of the box because they're not limited to our typical human. Well, I'm not going to say flaws, but tendencies. We like to make things symmetric and with, you know, regular shapes and stuff like that. Very predictable, but this thing was not limited by that. It would try anything. And it came up with something that was crazy, but worked really well. So I think this might be, you know, you can, th- you can throw these problems at an AI and it's going to come up with these answers that you'd never get to as a person. Well, in the, in the seventies, when they designed the, the F-117, when Lockheed Skunk Works designed the F-117 Nighthawk, the first stealth, uh, combat aircraft, mm-hmm. um, you know, it's very unique. It doesn't look like any other airplane. It looks like a jewel because it's all like hard facets with hard angles. But the computer found that those angles in that orientation gave it the best chance of being able to scatter and reflect, you know, scatter and, and uh, get rid of uh, dissipate uh, radar energy instead of reflecting it back so you could see the airplane. So the thing turned on radar screens. It looked like a small bird. It didn't look like an airplane anymore. But the interesting fact is, do you know why it had hard facets? No. No, because the computer in the 70s didn't have enough horsepower to calculate curves. Oh, really? Yes. So it was low res. So it, it was just, it's yeah. just a low res aircraft. Exactly. <laughs> it's, it, 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 it's just a, it, it's, it's a, it's a low res image of what the perfect shape could be. It's just the computer didn't have the horsepower to calculate the reflective curves, so they just built it as a jewel, as a, as a faceted gem instead. And then the next plane, you know, when they went to the B-2, computer technology had advanced so much that they were a- they were finally able to compute it over the curves, and that's why it's shaped like a teardrop, it's shaped like a big flying wing, and it's all smooth curves because the technology had, had progressed in the 10 years. And now, who knows what they're making now? I love that story. I absolutely love that story. Oh, it's, it's just, yeah. 
It's it's because it came out of an old video game where the poly call the polygon count was really low. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Love it. Oh. And it was all built on a paper on reflection of radio waves written by a Russian uh, by a Russian researcher. I think the paper was written in the 50s and it was somebody at a university in the United States that was doing some research. He comes across in a journal. He comes across this old Russian paper and he looks at it and goes, golly gee, I can make planes invisible with this. And he shows it to his boss. He's like, boss, we could use this. Like, yeah, but the Russians wrote this. Why aren't they using this? It's like, because they didn't think of it. Maybe, and maybe their polygon count was even lower. Right. <laughs> it exactly. was just, it just came out like a box. So there's, there's something that I have always wanted mm-hmm. and we keep being teased with it. And that's a replicator. And everyone's going to go, Oh, but we have 3D printers. It's not the same. Because it's getting closer. And there, there's a few food printers. Okay. I'll give you that. What I am looking for is the ability to replicate food and take proteins and make sure, you know what? Maybe you don't like eating leafy greens. Maybe there's just something about it you can't stand, but you need that extra iron. Mm-hmm. Why can't I just program in for my food to give me the nutrition that I need it to give me and replicate it? I freaking want a replicator or you know what this one little thing i need this one little this little gubbin right here now yes this is a 3d printed gubbin i'm holding and i just want this one thing but i don't want to have to have a giant kit and a, a, a garage with all you know in order to run this and it'll take me all night to run to get this little piece of plastic going um Yes. I think my favorite one I've seen, because I had to do research yeah. on uh, additive manufacturing for, uh, for a work project, but this company that has a, it's a 3D scanner and 3D printer so that if things are broken, it can find the break, 3D print the repair patch, and then put it in place to fix the surface without needing to fix the whole machine. Kind of cool. Except that they were doing this with human bones. Specifically, open skull fractures, people with massive head wounds mm-hmm. that they were then able to laser scan their head and 3D print out of surgical plastic the piece of skull that was missing, That's put that awesome. in place, put the skin back over top, and now you're fine. Um, and with a 3D printer. Yeah. Um, I, I had a, uh, a, so when my wisdom teeth were coming in, one of them came in kind of crooked and mm-hmm. it, it, it pushed into a neighboring tooth at an angle and it uh, cracked it. And then what ended up happening, uh, I had to get a crown put in on that tooth. And they threw some type of, they, they scanned it with a computer and they went out back. And within an hour, they came out with a crown that perfectly fit my tooth. Really? Now, I don't know if this was a subtractive or additive uh, process. They could have started right. with a block and then just kind of like milled out the pattern. Which or is they also cool. Yeah. It's, it's all, it, it's really the same technology. It's just, yeah. uh, it's, it's, you know, it's one it's backwards pathing. from the other. Yeah. Exactly. It's tool pathing. It's all it is. It's a yeah. really complicated tool pathing, but which is just a database of points. Sorry. It is exactly. I'm going to keep harping on this point. <laughs> um, but it's an incredible, incredible tool to have, especially like in the medical field. Because no, you'll never have a one fit, like, especially with prosthetics, you'll never have a one size fits all, mm-hmm. right? Or, 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 or replacing bone pieces or whatever you got to do. Um, and I've heard about them printing synthetic skin, mm-hmm. doing all kinds of crazy things like this, cartilage, 
Have you seen, by the way, while we're talking about this, the open source prosthetic arms? No, I haven't seen that. There's there's companies out there that have made um, it an open source 3D printable uh, prosthetic arm. I think it uses Arduino or something and, and like simple sensors. But the idea is that you can use their designs and then you get the pr- you just input like the measurement, like the, the measurements of how long your arm is and how many fingers you have, et cetera, et cetera. You press the thing and then it prints out all the pieces and it's like a big Lego kit. You just assemble your own robotic hand. You don't have to go spend hundreds of thousands of dollars to get medical professionals. They had the medical professionals do the hard work and come up with the, the blueprint and then you just plug it into your 3D printer and you get your hand. You know, this this actually makes a good point because there's another technology that um, I haven't really, or we haven't really spoken of, that's been kind of, it came out of this whole internet revolution. That's the open source community. I mean, there are incredible things coming out of an open source community where you don't have anybody directly commissioned to do anything. You just have a whole lot of people with a whole lot of smarts uh, at very different places in the world coming together to create something that they want to see happen. We've seen mm-hmm. entire operating systems um, come out of this. Um, Ubuntu, I believe, uh, came from the open source community originally. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've been, uh, I mean, look at things like the SETI at Home project. Mm-hmm. And I think there was a human genome uh, project where, hey, the times that your computer isn't doing anything else, we could use an entire network of those computers to crunch data and help science. Right. Uh, uh, so... Even without any any user interaction, your computer is just sitting there trying to find space aliens. Yeah, Cl- uh, cloud sourcing, I think is yeah. what they call it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or, yeah. Or no, very crowd, similar to what you're saying. It, it, yeah, yeah, very very similar to what you're talking about. But here, it's you know this this whole open source thing of um, we're all going to work together on something, and everybody's going to take one little bit and make it just a little bit better, and then eventually we're going to create something amazing. Um, the 3D printer kits that are out there and the websites of, you know, talented artists and things that make a blueprint for a thing, put it up on the website and it's free for everybody to use. And then somebody else looks at it and goes, that would look really, really cool. Hold on. Let me change it. Boop, boop. Changes it a little bit, uses it for something else. Um, so, um, a quick little sidebar story on the open source community. There is an operating system called QNX. Um, which existed way back when computers, it was called, it was considered a real time operating system, um, because it could execute things in real time. So it was often used as a control, um, an operating system that would, um, you know, control some real world thing. This um, was from Blackberry. Q, uh, QNX? Yeah. Um, yeah, probably. Um, I don't know where it exactly stemmed from. It, it had an open source branch to it where people could submit, um, patches and fixes and stuff like that. Um, back in 2000, I want to say 10, 12 around there, I was working for a company here in Fredericton called, um, CNER, Center for Nuclear Energy Research. I wasn't actually doing the, the nuclear energy research thing. I was just there working on the QNX software, which they were using at Point Lepro um, um, nuclear power plant for something over there. And uh, there was a reaction time problem where data wasn't being delivered fast enough. And they gave basically as a summer student, they like, here, take this module and make it better, make it do perform within these specs. So I you know, pulled it apart worked all summer, managed to get it working to those specs, submitted it. They loved it. They submitted it back to QNX and it went into one of the next patches. 
So it actually got deployed. The code that I wrote actually got deployed in the QNX operating system. And mm. then I found out the QNX operating system went on to one of the Mars rovers. So through this, you know, a crowdsourcing opportunity, a small bit of code that I wrote ended up in, is on Mars, it, right? Is now. on Mars. Yeah. Oh, it's that's cool. Probably not doing anything anymore, but <laughs> it, it was there for a while. It's collecting dust is what it's doing. Yeah. But you know, this is like, it's it's really mind-blowing how, you know, it's kind of all hived together like this now. So you bring up space. I do. And that's another thing. You know, where's my hoverboard? Where's my moon base? Where's my mission to Mars? My Mars colony, and yeah. And the, the one thing, and this is going to lead into something else I want to talk about, but the idea, the thing is, is that the reason why we went to the moon in such a rush is because... Because of the space race, because of the Cold War, mm-hmm. because it was technology that was being used for warfare that uh, we, because we could not lose this war, to, we could not lose the Cold War. We put billions upon billions upon billions of dollars and tens of thousands of people worked hard to get us to the moon. Mm-hmm. We won the Cold War and the the need to keep propelling that technology for the technology went as far as it did. That was as far as we needed. We don't need to keep going to Mars to keep the, the you know the to, to keep the cold war uh, at bay so the tech it just kind of fizzled it was very expensive very expensive yeah. and we have money to put in other places so uh it just sort of fizzled now they're talking about bringing us back to the moon in the next couple of years you know there's a uh, plans to get to mars by 2030 um i look forward to the day that we keep going with the space exploration but the 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 main driver is, has shifted away from governments pushing us into space to private industries. Right. You know, there was the SpaceX prize and now, you know, the Falcon rockets and everything that are now um, taking people to space because it's uh, significantly cheaper than having the, the, the major world's governments do it. And um, that leads, that leads to something else that's changing as well is that war on the whole is changing. Because wars are no longer being fought uh, on battlefields in the way that they were in, in, in the past, like major conflicts and world wars. I mean, they're still being fought on the ground around the world. I mean, all, war is war, and people are going to keep fighting around the world no matter what we do. I mean, that's one thing. But why would I bother flying a fleet of bombers over your country and bombing you to the Stone Age to ruin your economy when I can hack your stock market and ruin your economy? Mm-hmm. Or... You know, make a make a stupid joke online, have it go viral, and that joke manipulates your stock market enough to shatter your economy and bring you to your knees, and I don't have to leave my country, and there's no proof I did it. Or if you're a burgeoning nuclear power that is building nuclear weapons and nobody else wants you to have nuclear weapons, how about I just put USB sticks in parking lots throughout your country with a virus in it that, has that shown will to destroy... Be- all very of your effective. centrifuges, yeah. huh? Uh, which has been very effective, super right. effective, super effective. Then I can just put a virus into your nuclear power plants that shuts down all your centrifuges. You now can't refine fuel. You now have no nuclear weapons and no capability to make them. And it didn't cost me anything. No fleets of bombers, no bombs, no collateral damage, no press conferences. Just one day you have a nuclear power plant. The next day you have a smoking heap of machinery. And we still don't know who did it. We have an idea. Yeah, definitely state sponsored. No doubt about that. Sure, absolutely. But which state? Exactly. Who knows? And to me, like th- this is where war is going. 
I'm going to put on my tinfoil hat here uh, for a moment because we used those in a previous episode. Yes, we did. Uh, I actually kept mine for quite a while. Um, I feel as though this manipulation, the social manipulation of society, um, the the political divide that we're now seeing. Okay. Well, I mean, it is kind of systemic. Um, you know, there's, there's always that problem. The, 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 the embers of that crisis is always been present in our society. Of course it has mm-hmm. because nobody has the full picture and media is the way media is. But I feel like there is an outside source really blowing there on these embers to try to create something far worse to try to create destabilization. Mm-hmm. If, um, if I make you. Mm-hmm fight amongst yourselves, then you don't have time to watch what I'm doing. Exactly. exactly. And this is, and this is a tale as old as time. I read a book about this, this phenomena uh, years ago. And, you know, an example, uh, there's a, a Japanese family in feudal Japan that was, uh, they were on the move. They were on the rise. They were trying to gain power. And when all of their enemies started dropping dead in the middle of the night, Everybody assumed that this family had made pact with devils. Like they had like, they were doing like demon sorcery and they had black magic powers. So they did the smartest thing ever. They never denied it. And then everybody just stayed out of their way because they have pacts with demons. They didn't really. They just had assassins. <laughs> they, they, and, and they, you know, just, just a dude with a knife would walk into your, ca- you know, we call them ninjas. Mm-hmm. He would walk into your place and stab you. But if people want to believe that it's because I signed a pact with a devil and now I have magical powers, you go ahead and keep thinking that because you're going to stay away from me. Well, and it worked. Yeah. Well, it's amazing. Like you hear these pundits on TV and I'm not going to really address one side or the other of the political spectrum because this is not a political show, but. Oftentimes they'll start something with, look, I'm not saying blah, 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 but, <laughs> but I'm totally saying, yeah, blah, exactly. blah, blah. but I'm going to heavily in, like imply it for the next hour. Look, I'm not saying that my opponent eats babies, but he's <laughs> never gone on record to say that he doesn't eat babies and he won't even answer the question. So what does that mean? Would you want to vote for a baby eater? You know, last year he said he was 44 years old. This year he says he's 45. Which one is it? Have you ever? Look s- how confused he is. He can't even remember how old he is. Have you ever seen him on camera with a baby? No, you haven't. Where are the babies? Where are the babies? <laughs> <laughs> See, it's not hard. Exactly. It's not, yeah. It's it's not, it's hard. not hard at all. <laughs> no, and, it is. And you know, uh, all of us Doctor Who fans had this demonstrated to us perfectly. With doesn't she look tired? Yes. Oh yeah. Yes. What? How? How to ruin a career in a simple phrase? Um. But you know, governments around the world are now. Uh, Militaries are now adding more and more and more emphasis on cyber warfare because this is the end cyber resiliency mm-hmm. of all of our infrastructure, vehicles, equipment, because this is the, um, this is the, the next step. Oh, another great one. Where are my, where are my space Marines? I mean, the United States has a space force and everybody went so berserk with it. The space force. What's the space force? Space Marines. Are we going to be fighting in space now? It's like, no, 
No, Space Force is the dudes that control all the satellites that do yeah. all kinds of crazy magic. I, I always with, saw that as they're just going to compartmentalize the Air Force into... Well, yeah, the it, thing it, is, it's exactly what it is. Yeah. It wasn't that he anybody created it when they started talking about it. It was a thing that was already there. Yeah, Space Command was already part of the Air Force, and then Space Command has now become... It's on. What I do find interesting, though, as I'll, I'll ask this as a question to the two of you. So a, a Marine is a Marine and uh, a person in the Army is a soldier. It's a sailor in the Navy, uh, an aviator in the Air Force. Uh, what is it for the Space Force? Do you know what you call a soldier in the Space Force? Um, hold on. I want to make up a name. Um, Go ahead. A combat knot. A combat knot. <laughs> no. um, all right. Let's make up a name. Um, I don't know. A Spacian. A spacian. A spacian. There you go. No, a spacian. It it is a guardian. A gu- okay. A guardian. guardian. That's fair. That's fair. Yes. Okay. That's fair. Space Force guardians is what is what you would uh, address a, an individual troop <laughs> in the Space Force. But um, yeah, they control everything that's in space, satellites, and what those satellites do, mm-hmm. and what they actually do, I don't know. And you can't find it on a website. Yeah. But guess what? They do it, and they do it well. <laughs> the- um. I do want to uh, kind of, if if I can, veer us because there's a couple of topics I want to talk about. Yeah, yeah, please. Before we finish this up, and we talked a little bit about transportation, and so I'm not going to get into the whole transporter thing. So anybody that that writes in, and, why didn't you talk about transporters? I would love it, but at this point, transporters are magic, and there's a whole like, um, uh, moral question about. De, you know, destroying and recreating the molecules existential and atoms. Question, yeah. 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 So that's going to be more of a philosophical existential question. Um, Didn't we like, talk about that before? I feel like we did that in an episode. I believe we have. Yeah. I believe we have. I mean, it, it, if not on air, it's been something we've discussed ad nauseum. Mm. Um, but I do want to talk a little bit about virtual reality, holograms, realistic holograms. We have holograms now. Like we, we. Hey, Tupac. Talk. Tupac did a live show. And that was a while ago. Uh, uh, Cabot is holding so cool. up his That's VR cool. headset. That is pretty cool. I can't see those lights. Those are, those are only in the camera. That's IR, right? Yeah, that's IR. Ooh, a little more there. This is pretty cool. It's interesting that, that your regular webcam is picking that up. Yeah. They, they, they don't filter out. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. See? Yeah. Same with yours, your, your yep. head tracking. So tech has a head tracker. For when he's playing his flight sim game, and Cabot has a VR headset for when you are what playing VR games. Yeah, pretty much. So virtual reality is becoming a thing. Mm-hmm. Um, virtual reality. So I picked up that headset three years ago, two or three years ago now, and um, so one of the things that really shocked me the most was just how convincing the VR world was. I was not expecting that. Now, there are some people, the latency gives them nausea. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you get the same problem with your head tracking system. Not really, because um, everything around me doesn't move. It's just on the monitors. Right. So at any time, it's very easy to just focus for a second on the room. There have been a couple of times where you know I'm flying an airplane with a head tracker and I'll do like a, a like a really violent sort of a bank in like a, like a turn and burn mm-hmm. and my inner ear will get tricked and I will feel myself move. Mm-hmm. But then I just look at my desk and I'm okay again. Right. Yeah. In VR, in you- VR, because you're encapsulated, it's harder. Yeah, it is. It is much harder. Now it's never affected me. Um, you remember our friend Joel, mm-hmm. um, he can't put that thing on for more than a second. 
and oh, really? falling okay. over. Like it just completely messes with them. Now, maybe it's, I think it has something to do with the fact that my family are sailors all the way back. So I think we've kind of just developed this, this, this compensation mechanism. Like I've never been seasick in my entire life. I don't have any problem being on a boat. They could be lurching all over the place and I will stand perfectly still and just let the, like, you know, you're terroristically balanced. Exactly. I didn't, no problem. I can do that all day long. And I think that has some kind of effect to it, but it is getting the latency is getting incredibly good. Um, Another person that I'm not a fan of, Mark Zuckerberg, has been throwing so darn much money into this technology. Oh, what's the Facebook VR? Uh, metaverse. Well, I think that's the software, but I don't know. The, no, the, the, the headset. Oh, that's this one. Oculus. Well, the Oculus Rift. Yeah. That's it. That's so, it. Yeah. Uh, well, this, this one, I bought it before they owned it, which mm-hmm. was really upsetting to me because when I per- first purchased it, I signed up for an Oculus account. Everything was great. And then later on, they changed it. And they basically said, if you want to use this headset, you have to have a Facebook account and you have to have it linked to your Facebook, uh, which, yeah, I didn't like that at all. I mean, I had a Facebook account. It wasn't a problem for me to do that, but I really but don't like the requirement of you yeah. must use our social media, which I mean, honestly, Microsoft's doing that. That's like, true. To do Skype, you have to have a Microsoft account at, of some way, even even my old, old Skype account that is not connected to an Outlook anything. It is now part of the Microsoft systems. So well, everything on your desktop now, I think, is being pushed into OneDrive. Not my desktop. Um, well, they did it. I mean, unless you really know how to disable it, how to go in and disable it, they just no, no, turned no. it on. I'm, one not, day. I'm not on a. I'm not on a Windows. Oh, machine. okay. If you're on a Windows machine, <laughs> uh, your desktop is synced to the cloud, so they have a copy yes. of every file that's yeah. on your desktop. Um, I've kind of leaned into it because I kind of like that system. I've been using it for work and everything like that, but I don't like the fact they don't really give you a choice. I really don't yeah. like that fact. I don't like that's, it at all. That's the thing. It's like give we should have the choice over our devices. Does it have to be connected to something? Mm-hmm. You know? Um I've I've had quite a few offline devices require me to have an online connection. Well and it makes no sense. For certain files, I mean I got so upset that I actually built my own cloud server. Uh, mm-hmm. I think I gave you a password for it, mm-hmm. but you can install software for that cloud system. It's an open source uh, cloud system called NextCloud, and you can set up your own server and you can basically use it as your own cloud storage system. So you can install software on your phone, on your desktop, and you can use it as a cloud system, like just as a, a synced cloud system so that all your files yeah. are syncing with each other through that. And I can use it as a private chat server as well, although I haven't done that yet. That was pretty cool. And- yeah. Um, one of the things that I, I don't think, um, I could have, I, I could have predicted and, um, I don't think anybody has is that all this technology is, is improving by leaps and bounds and, you know, technology, uh, technology continues to improve and things like encryption and security methods are jumping up by leaps and bounds as ways to attack them jump up by leaps and bounds. Oh, yeah. But by far, and you never see this in in movies or sci-fi or anything. It's the best way to attack all that fancy technology is to attack the people. That's why yeah. social engineering and you know, um, you know, pretending to be someone that you're not in order to get a password, or you know, you happen to take a look at the guy's desk and he's got the password written down on a post-it note, is forever going to be more efficient than trying to sit there to hack the password and try to remember the special character, the exclamation point, yeah. a number, a capital I, letter. 
I'm going to step on my little soapbox and say like having all of these people going to one centralized office to work is a security risk. Oh yeah. That's a security Absolutely risk. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, and to this day, the, the, anyone listening to this, the, the biggest vulnerability that is happening is people clicking on the wrong links in emails. Oh yeah. So just don't click on anything. So, you know, this is, um, okay. So we're talking about technologies that have come into, uh, mainstream usage over the last few years. Um, I think it was back in the early aughts or the 1990s. Um, 128 bit encryption mm-hmm. was considered beyond, uh, it was considered military grade. You had to be within the military to be using that level of encryption. They, they prohibited it. Right. Um, they since dropped that. Uh, so they let you use any grade of encryption you want now on the internet. Mm-hmm. Typical, when you see that little lock icon, um, at the top of your browser, that's a 256, usually a 256 bit encryption, mm-hmm. uh, lock. And that's not, you think, oh, that's twice as good as, uh, 128 bit. <laughs> no, it's not. 129 bit is twice as good as 128. Right. You know, and then 130 is twice as good as that. So it's, it's, it's like two to the power of 128 times as powerful as what was military grade just 20 years ago. And this is something every website has. And, and that, that's the, the point I'm making is that all of this encryption is fantastic. But if you wrote your password on a post-it note right, yeah. and left it on camera so that it could be seen from your webcam. <laughs> oh, should I not have put all my password? <laughs> no, they don't go on the wall behind you, Karen. Um, no offense to anyone named Karen. It's just we are at the point now where the weak point in the machine is the pink fleshy thing behind it. Yeah. yeah. Well, we're working on that. We're working on getting rid of that. <laughs> okay, so a 3d print something better hold on i'm just gonna jump back into hologram so we had tupac um we are able to really like for instance recently there was footage on youtube that said it was simulated and it fooled news reports because they thought it was real flying footage from right. things going on in Europe. Right. They thought that the jet fighter was oh. this one yeah. famous fighter pilot. Yeah. And it's all from a flight simulator video game. It's from a video that, game. That there was a general yeah. that tweeted that out. Wasn't there? Like, yeah, 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 yeah. And there were news. And on the actual video, it says this is simulated from this game. That makes it even more inexcusable, though. Exactly. But so we're getting there. We're getting like a lot of times I look at stuff and I'm like, I can't tell. Is that real or not? And then you get to a point. Usually it's when it's humans. Um so we were promised holograms like that we would walk into stores and there'd be a hologram AI there to guide us. Well, Sharon Apple, you know, that sort of a thing. And um uh Simone, that was the movie, right? Yep. Um so the question is But the is, virtual actress. Do we think we're gonna get the holograms of a la Star Trek where, you know, I can uh create Leonardo da Vinci and it's it's so realistic he believes he's real well the the hard thing is that it's it's all dependent like right now as the technology thinks it's 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 you need light yeah so like the Tupac hologram worked really really good because it was a darkened stage Mm -hmm. and then they could project it there but the thing is it's always going to look like a ghost it's never going to look like it does on Star Trek where, you know, you walk into the holodeck and then all of a sudden there's a real tangible person that you can touch. That's where you need the hard light, right? Right. According that's to where, Red Dwarf. Right. That's where you need the hard light holograms. And we're still, and even they from three million years in the future had to get that from even further in the future. Yeah. So we are quite a ways away from hard light now. But what's coming though is the haptic feedback. 
Yes. So um, there are now gloves that you can wear in um, – there are gloves that you can wear in VR. So for things like pilot training, where you could have your console of instruments in front of you, where your hand is in VR, you can reach for a switch, and when you flick the switch, you get a little bit of a rumble, just like out of a video game controller. Get a little bit of a rumble in your hand to let you know that you flipped the switch. Now, I have... So the technology's starting. Yes. Yeah. So... Oh, do you have an OptiGlove? So, well, no, but I have this controller. Right. Um, and if I hit the button, yeah, look at that. Cool. Right. Um, so I have this controller here, and it will give me haptic feedback on, like, a little, just a little buzz. And right. You'd be surprised when you kind of program your mind to mm-hmm. to to take that haptic feedback. Like, when I'm re- reaching for a console or button or whatever in VR... And I'm not even looking at it. I will know if I hit that button. Um, right. Like in my mind, it's like I actually touched the button. I know it's just right. a little rumble, but mm-hmm. I've kind of, you kind of rearrange your expectations in VR, right? So it works really well. And this is like the, one of the original controllers too. And this Which, will do um, all kinds of things. It'll track my thumb in the air so I can give a thumbs up and it will actually the, give me a thumbs up in the, or point and it will track my finger. There's a sensor in this, this trigger that will sense how far my finger is away from the trigger. And there's IR all over it. There's IR all over it. Yeah. I can see right. it. So um, this brings up one of my absolute favorite words about simulation in VR. And, that, uh, and you know, the same thing in movies and cartoons and everything. The word is verisimilitude. Mm. I've never heard that word before. It, believability. Oh, right. It doesn't, it doesn't have to be realistic. It has to be believable. If I made a flight simulator that was 100% realistic to a real airplane, mm-hmm. 99% of people would be bored to tears and would not want to play the game. Mm-hmm. But if I can make you feel like you're flying an airplane, that's worth more to the casual player than having a 100% accurate real reproduction. And a lot of those systems, like uh, let's talk about like a combat, like 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 a, like a, fly, a fighter jet combat game. Mm-hmm. A lot of the systems in those airplanes are secret. Right. I can't make a one hundred percent realistic reproduction of it because it's a secret, and it's secret for a really good reason. So, but if I can make you feel like you're flying that airplane, yeah, right, then that's cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um. So before we wrap up, what is a technology that we don't actually have yet? that you were hoping for growing up that I was hoping for growing up. Yeah. Hmm. Uh, I want to know where my laser rifles are. And of course I know the answer to this and listen to the old epic episode on future weapons to find out why we don't have laser rifles. But I mean, come on, you watch, you watch transformers and GI Joe and all those shows growing up and gosh, darn it. Where's my laser rifle? Where's the pew pew? Yeah, exactly. Give me the pew pews. Uh, what was the, 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 not PPG. What was it called? The one that they used on Babylon Five. It was a PPG. You can't use real proposal. Was it PPG? It was yeah. a PPG. Yeah, I'm almost certain um, it was a PPG. On on that note, very quickly, I have to add: with electric vehicles coming in, electric vehicles are very very quiet. Mm. Yeah, and people that are visually impaired or young or whatever that there is a there's a very serious concern going on right now about people um, not hearing a an electric car coming and it can cause pedestrian accidents. Mm-hmm. Yes. So they are now looking at mandating that vehicles, electric vehicles have to make a noise. They have to like pump out a noise that will be regulated and understood by pedestrians that that is the sound of an electric vehicle approaching. I don't care. It has to be the sounds of the Jetsons car. Well, 
It has to be. Has to be. It, um, it's not going to be. What, uh, Tesla vehicles. So Joel has a Tesla. Mm-hmm. And uh, one of the things you can do is you can create an engine noise. And it will pump right. out sound. And I think it's required in some states that you do that. But it's yeah, not a right, federal right. requirement anywhere yet. Um, and he can choose what sound to make. And one of them is, uh, well, it's called UFO, but it's basically mm-hmm. the Jetson sounds. Awesome. So when his car pulls in, it's <laughs> really cool. That is, that is fantastic. Yeah. I, I, I love that so much. But yeah, laser rifles. Where are my laser rifles? And I, I know the real answer to this. I know why they're not coming. I know it's because the technology doesn't work and never will work and is completely impractical. But hey, you can't blame a kid for dreaming. Well, you know, maybe there will be something like, uh, so Star Wars isn't quite, uh, they have the blasters. Right. And they yeah. don't shoot light. They shoot something that's clearly slower moving. And they do explain it at some point. It's actually based on some type of gas. So they, yeah, yeah, it's, 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 um, it's plasma encased in a, encased in a, in a field. And when the field hits something, the field dissipates and then the plasma explodes. Right. So I think, you know, the practicalities of that is actually, when you think of it, quite good mm-hmm. because, you know, with one small casing and, and a really good, <laughs> energy source you could have a very large amount of ammunition excuse mm-hmm. me and um you don't have to worry about ricochets you don't have to worry there's like a lot of other things especially in space um shooting projectiles in space is very problematic um yeah. i don't know if you ever heard there's um mass effect mass effect yeah the speech in mass this effect is was- why isaac newton is the most dangerous sob in space i love that line yeah, i love that <laughs> that whole presentation when you fire one of these you will be ruining somebody's day um <laughs> But this is the 10 kilogram Ferris slug. Feel the weight. <laughs> uh, so what's the tech you're missing? So the tech that I'm missing, I'm, uh, well, okay. So tech just kind of went over that, but I've, I've always kind of loved the idea of blasters or, or laser rifles or whatever. Sure. Um, geez, the tech that I'm missing. The thing is, is a lot me? of, te- do, do you miss me? Oh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I do. Um, that'll never get old. Yeah. Um, Here's the thing. A lot of the tech that I wished for as a kid, I feel, I feel like I'm, I'm spoiled because it all, it, a lot of it came like the cell phone is yeah. an amalgamation of all the different technologies that I always wanted. Yeah. It's yeah. our communicators. It's better. It's, it's our tricorder. It's so, it's our tricorder, our communicator. It's everything that like Star Trek promised and then some. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and, 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 uh, and computer technology like has come so far in the last 30 years. I can't even describe how much more powerful my computer is now than the one that I started on, my Commodore 64. Yeah, and we've all got that experience. But one thing I always love remembering is how the MP3 was developed because of the first episode of Star Trek The Next Generation, when Data is listening to four different uh, concertos simultaneously. I remember that episode. And the person who developed the MP3 he just could not stop thinking about it because he was like, what kind of compression would be needed? Mm, that's cool. Yeah. It's great. Uh, uh, the uh, thing I'm, I'm, I'm missing out on is, um, bulletproof clothing, but more importantly, smart clothing where the clothing can tell what the temperature is and adjust. So the Starfleet uniforms in TNG are supposed to be able to be worn in cold climates, hot climates, Humid climates, dry climates, it will automatically adjust. Which is why you never see them wearing a coat when they go down to winter planets. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And why they don't have to take off their shirts, but they do because somebody wants to flex. Yeah. Um, I have a coat with a heater in it built into the lining. 
Mm-hmm. Really? Yeah. Uh, Steph got it for Christmas for me some years ago. Uh, and I bought her one this year, but you put a battery pack in the back and there's a button right here mm-hmm. and you push a button, the button lights up and you have a coil through your whole jacket that, uh, warms up for you and it keeps you nice and toasty. That's awesome. Yeah. I, I, now, now we need to get one that cools as well. I think, I mean, NASA has cooling, uh, clothing. They have to for their astronauts, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, um, they have like water tubules that run all through it. I think yep. Adam Savage, I feel like he made like, like a casual one for one of his builds at one point. There are um, cooling cloths, which basically inside of the cloth, I've got one for my neck. It's got like, Basically, these little orbs, maybe Orbeez is, is close to it, but it's not exactly. You soak it in water, dry it off, and then oh, cool. wear it. Oh, that's awesome. It's the three levels of heating, so. That's so cool. Um, um, and then, and then it'll keep you cool, but it's still relying on that. Oh, I've charged, you know, I've, I'm, I'm. Modern, uh, armored vehicle crews have what are called chiller vests. Yeah, that uh, go underneath the crew's body armor, and it connects to um, the system inside the vehicle and pumps coolant. Oh, really? So you actually like hook it in? Yeah, yep. that's yeah, that's the problem. Like once you warm up the fluid that's in the vest, where is that heat has to escape? Right. So in a, so in um yeah. in a spacesuit, like your thermal undergarments with all the fluid hoses and everything, that connects to the backpack of the spacesuit, mm-hmm. which has the you know the radiators and everything to dissipate the heat or uh, you know or whatever to uh to to keep it at a at at a certain temperature uh but you know if you're inside the cramped confines of a vehicle you don't have a space for a big backpack so the vehicle becomes your backpack mm-hmm. um they work very well i'm i'm reminded of the cool suits in uh earthcore and mount fitzroy from the sigler books where uh basically it's taking your sweat and repurpose and, and other fluids. Yeah, the still suits from still suits from Dune. Yeah. Yeah. Repurposing it and, and using that to cool you off. Mm-hmm. Um I'm still trying to come up with a technology that I was wishing for as a kid. And I, I I keep coming up with stories, but um I remember when I was eleven or twelve years old, I got a call from my uncle out west in Alberta. And I remember it was a big deal. And it I think I might've been younger. I could have been like eight years old at the time, but like it was a very specific time of the day. My mother made sure that I was ready to go and we picked up the phone and I had this very low quality staticky conversation with my uncle on the other side of the continent. And I thought that was the most amazing thing in the world that his voice can be piped to this box on my wall and I can communicate with him. And today casually while I'm walking down the street anywhere, I can for free, take out this little device in my pocket and have a video conversation with him wherever yeah. he is and not yeah. tethered to a wall. Um, that is an absolutely incredible leap in technology. I remember when I was a kid and um, my dad's ship got access to what they called a satellite phone. It cost something like $20 a minute. It was insane because we he was calling through a satellite. Mm-hmm. And it was only for emergencies, but that he could call. And then, you know, just five or 10 years later, that went into he would upload and download all emails for the ship in like a minute using that connection. And it was mind blowing. Yeah. And now what we have is just so far ahead. I, I think one of one of my... um 
one of my favorite quotes, I, I, I read this a long time ago. It's like, I hold in my pocket a, a small device that gives me access to the entirety of the world's knowledge. I use it to get into arguments and look at pictures of cats. <laughs> it shows what our priorities are, right? <laughs> exactly, right? And, you know, exactly. we have to mention what we're doing right now. Yeah. I mean, we are on, we're quite a distance apart from each other and we are uh, collaborating in real time via video conference and creating content, which we are, which you will soon publish and make available globally to anybody. And we can do that just because. Through a syndicated system that will automatically update all of our subscribers' feeds and show them that a new episode is available for them to download. In some cases, download it automatically to their phone, and the next time they're driving to work, hello, you industrious fellows driving to work, uh, as they're driving to work, this will automatically pop into their feed and start playing through... From the little device in their pocket that never left their pocket, it will then start piping through the speakers of the car. Or even better, they didn't even have to download it because they're just streaming it instead of downloading it. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, um, there's a scene um, in a movie called um, Bicentennial Man. I don't know if you've Mm -hmm. seen Robin Williams. Yes, Robin Williams. Um, I remember watching it with my parents, which it feels like not long ago, but I know it was long ago. It was a long time Um, ago. There's a scene where uh, the main character, the father of the family, gets into his car, and the car mm-hmm. says, "Good morning, Mister So and So, and today's weather is blah 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 blah." And I remember my parents saying, "Oh, come on, that'll never be a thing like that. Come on, that's ridiculous. The car's not going to know the weather. The car's not going to know his name." And here we are. You can absolutely. Most of us choose not to, but you could absolutely do exactly that with minimal effort and within my mother's us- lifetime. How many of us have cars that have different profiles? So you can get in your car and it knows from your fob who's in it. And I don't have this, I, I but it's kind of cool. It'll adjust the seat to whomever's in the car. Yep. Just the seat, change the radio and preferences. it's been around for a long time. The thing is, is that the tech, it's weird. The technology that we thought we wanted and that we thought we needed in the past is not the technology that went forward, but the technology that did go forward in leaps and bounds ahead of anything we ever dreamed is stuff that we had no idea. I mean, if you look at Back to the Future, we thought we wanted fax machines in every room in the house. (laughs) Yeah. The, you know, the, the, well, uh, hey, one that, one that kind of quietly snuck up on everybody is every 80s TV show, uh, you know, everybody had, you know, of the future, everybody had video doorbells. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yep. Now um, we do. Yeah. If you watch a show called Sequest DSV, they got in their first season at least, they got a lot of things shockingly right. Um, I remember watching that show and thinking it's so far off the wall. And then 10 years later watching it again, I'm like, oh, this just feels like normal everyday yeah. things now. Right. Um, and we, we look at Star Trek, uh, the data pads that everybody had walking around. Nobody would have paper on that show. Uh, yeah. Star Trek Next Generation. They all have these data pads which they used. And now we currently have data pads that are, I mean, better yeah. than what they had. Infinitely the better than anything better. you saw in Star Trek. Exactly. And that's only within like 10 short years. And and by all indications, technological progression is increasing at an exponential rate. The one thing, the one thing I, I kind of suck, I, I'm kind of mad at is that, um, this is one of those, those terms that's come up recently. User experience designers, you know, UX 
mm-hmm. what we used to call a UI, mm-hmm. yeah. user interface, but UX designers, why has nobody made a thing that I can download onto my tablet to give it the LCARS interface and have a functional Be- LCARS interface? Because Paramount is greedy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's exactly it. Um, Wait, the rules of acquisition. Okay. The rules of acquisition. <laughs> Absolutely. Come on. Yeah. So, I mean, it's, it's, there's, there's, there's enough that, um, we've, we've definitely gone leaps and bounds. There's definitely things that we still want. Some things are kind of pie in the sky, you know, like transporters, but lightsabers, lightsabers. That's what I want. I want That's lightsabers. Want. Yes. Lightsabers. So some kind of containment field with a plasma charge in it. That can be held a lightsaber. I want a lightsaber. So if you drop it, it goes through all stories of the CHSR building. Yes, but right. it's very and, good and for chopping lumber. Very good for that. That was some of the best piece of foley I've <laughs> and, ever been. And, and, and messes up the uh, the station manager, now program director. I don't, I don't know. Station manager. Yes, the yeah. station manager's office. Yes, and ruins his brand new disappearing TARDIS coffee mug. Yeah, how dare you? How dare you? <laughs> Morning, Mark. I see the reconstruction is going well. Yeah, Killfoil won't let me use the studios again until I fix up all the damage from that whole disruptor fiasco. Anything I can do to help? Pass me that lightsaber over there, will you? How did you get this? Same website as a disruptor. Uh, at least you didn't get screwed by the autocorrect. I was ordering lightsabers. But this helps with cutting the lumber to size. See? You should be careful with that thing. It'll cut through just about everything. Uh, yeah, you're right. I'll just put it away. Now we'll shut off. Have you tried jiggling the handle? It's all handle. What is with this website and their stuff not turning off? Maybe I'll just put it down. Uh, Okay, maybe that wasn't the great idea I thought it was. My beautiful office! That was a full cup of coffee! In my favorite new disappearing TARDIS mug! Cabot? Sorry. I wasn't in danger of bleeding out right now. I'd pick up my other arm and shake both fists at you. I, uh, I don't feel so good. But it was great talking to you, and we we do plan to kind of remix some of these old epic topics with Mark. And well, if anyone else from Epic has the ability to join us, we'd be more than happy to have them. Absolutely. But um, you know, uh, we'd love to remix and more of these because sadly, Epic is not archived online. It's archived in the cloud. Uh, I feel like you're. <laughs> I feel I feel like that was hint, directed hint. squarely towards me. Hint. <laughs> no, no, but it just means it's it's room for growth. Yeah. Um because we don't want to talk about the best and worst movies of 2013. We want to talk about the 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 uh all of the lame superpowers. We want to revisit all of the fun episodes we did. I can't wait to do another conspiracy theories one. Oh, yeah. Well, there's never any short supply of those. I believe Epic is actually back in syndication on CHSR. Is it now? That's fantastic. Cool. I have to check the schedule to see when it's on, but it's back there. And I have to go. One of the reasons why I have to be careful with the archive.org is there are episodes. There was a run where we were playing music in our episodes. Ah. 
And I have to make sure that I do not put up the episodes with musical content in it. So that was what we were thinking about that future tech. What is something that you wish you had that you grew up thinking, oh, man, in the 2020s, we'll definitely have this. Go ahead and uh, write into us. Let us know. We would love to hear it. Otherwise, we'll talk to you again next time. Bye, everyone. Bye. And we want to thank our patrons, without whom we wouldn't have two episodes a month. I wouldn't be able to pay my server fees. And basically, you guys are the ones that keep this whole mess, shambling mess going. So thank you so much to our top tier, our big daddies, to Jax, Jason, and Rich the TT. And to our patrons of the arts, thank you so much to Andy Luke, Mark Cabot, who was on this episode. Um... Mark the Encaffeinated One, who you heard on this episode in that last skit, and uh, Melissa, Paul, and Susanna. And thank you to our other patrons, the lifeblood of this campaign, keeping us going. Thank you so much to Cliff, Greg, Harold, Hugh, Ian, Justine, Ken, Kinsey, Mike, Patrick, the Radical Geek, Shane, Stephen, Will, and Zach, man, thanks so much for keeping us going. Nutty Bites is produced by Nimlas Studios under a Creative Commons Attribution No Commercial Non-Derivatives 3.0 International License. That means you can't change it without my permission. You can share it and send it to your friends. Just link back to me, my site, and everything. We live at nimlas.org, which has links to everything social media, including facebook.com slash group slash Nutty Bites and patreon.com slash nukejoss or call 347-Nutty42.